I get a phone call from Billy McFarland. And Billy says, Andy, where are you? I said, well, I'm in Nevada, north of San Francisco. He said, well, we have gone ahead with a fire festival. It's on Exuma in the Bahamas, and we're having some issues, and I need you. We can make this work as long as we change the messaging immediately to say this is not the world's first luxury music festival. It's going to be a cool festival. It's going to be fun. Girls will be in bikinis and boys will be in cute bathing suits and everybody will be drinking tequila and you'll be hearing great music and you'll be on one of the prettiest islands in the Bahamas. Right after fire, yeah, if I came to your event, you know, sometimes I got paid 150 grand, sometimes 100 grand, but I donated as much money as I could to the Bahamas, as you all know. Isn't that cool to give opportunity to these people who are now trying to recreate their lives and get a fresh start? And it's so important. We have the power to change the world through the event industry. Billy got out of prison yesterday. It's huge. It's big news. And I don't know. I mean, is he going to call me? Hi, I'm Lily. And I'm Don. We are The Loaded. Dan. Good afternoon, Lily. How are you? I'm very excited. I'm very excited because this is our final episode of season two. And it's going to be epic. It really is. We, we, we're pulling out the big guns for this one. Right, we, we really save, are. Save the best to last. We definitely have. I'm going to let you introduce our no, next guest. No, 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 because no, no, you do it every time. Come on, round off the season, I'm round de- off the I'm season. I'm definitely not going to get this one wrong. We have a legend, the legend, that is Andy King joining us today all the way from the USA. How are you, Andy? I'm doing all right, guys. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, amazing, amazing. We are so honestly that we are so excited to have you on our podcast. So thank you for for taking the time to join us. At, I think like eight a.m. in the morning, or whatever oh, time it is where yet. you are. <laughs> it's a little early, and I'm not a morning person. But you know what? I was going to say every once in a while you got to take a big one for the team, right? Uh, well, <laughs> we feel very privileged then. I think we've all taken a big one for the team before. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, this is probably going to like start off the way it's going to carry on, really. Pretty much, but. First of all, we need to introduce. We do need to introduce, I guess. Andy, for, for many of our listeners who may not know us, who is Andy King? Who is Andy King? Well, uh, I have been in the event industry for over 35 years. Um, if you are a, a movie watcher, The Wolf of Wall Street is probably one of the best descriptions of my life for many years, hosting all the crazy, crazy parties for the financial world. And uh, let's just fast forward, and I happen to have affiliated myself, as most of the world knows, through Netflix. I tried to save the wonderful Fire Festival in the Bahamas, and now I'm known for one thing around the world, the Fire Festival. I'm not known for the other thousand events I hosted in my career. I'm known for the Fire Festival and known as, well, for some people, the water guy. Some people call me the blowjob guy. Uh, some people <laughs> think of me as probably one of the biggest, most visible failures in pop culture today. How would you like that as your legacy? Ugh. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. But but we do want to talk about the beginning. Because like you said, you've had a career that spanned over 30 years. So I guess like take it all the way back to the beginning. Well, the beginning, can you imagine at... 16 years old, I catered my first wedding. I didn't even have my driver's license. And my grandmother, I remember loading all the food into the back of her Cadillac in the seats and in the boot and delivering all the food to this little wedding that was only for 100 guests, so it wasn't huge. But um, 
It was, it's been in my blood. My mom was a big entertainment, big entertainment person um, as far as being an artist and constantly having parties. And um, I'm one of nine children. And so there was always a party going on at every meal. And I just learned at an early age that that could be one of the best ways to generate business, one of the best ways to develop great relationships and be successful is to be able to host really cool events. So it's been in my blood since what, I was what, born. What part of it was it that you loved most? Uh, I think so much of the world gets tripped up with having parties and they freak out and they're calling me going, oh, I'm having 30 people for a baby shower in two months. I'm like, call me the week before. <laughs> what, what, are you, what, what, are you, what are you freaked out about? I'll tell you where to get your tables and the tablecloths. I'll tell you the best little caterer. I'll tell you what you need. I'll tell you your props and your gifts and, you know, on and on and on. And so I think that it's just an intimidating thing for most people. But for some of us, probably like you two, it becomes, it's just something natural that we do every day. Yeah. It's my happy place. It's also kind of addictive because I think we all get off on that last minute adrenaline and the problem solving and the firefighting and all the rest of it. Um, but it becomes more of a lifestyle rather than a job. <laughs> I think so. I mean, at, uh, in New York City, which is where I've been based for such a long time, um, one of the things I did was I created in the early days, um, I went out on a limb and I bought a very expensive building. And I moved into it with all my family's antiques and artwork and beautiful silver and china. And I would go around to several of the local theaters in the neighborhood. And I would say, listen, when you're having an opening night party, I would love to host it. And I'll pay for it. And I'll supply the staff and the beverages and the food and, 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 and entertainment and on and on. And it was an amazing way to get my name out there. It was stressful, yeah, moving into a $5 million home at 29 years old or 30 years old, but it really, really paid off. And, you know, as you said, Dan, like the adrenaline, it was kind of cool having people at my home walking and going, holy shit, who lives here? Oh, this is amazing. Wow. You know, and suddenly all the big Wall Street guys started calling me saying, Andy, I know you don't do this, but would you rent me your house next Thursday night? And I'm like, hell yeah, sure. For a couple grand, no problem. And for you know, it's what I got known for in New York City very often was like having parties in my home. And I had an incredible rooftop terrace with amazing views. And so I was, you know, most people would say, listen, you need a division between work and family. You need a division between, you know, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, blend it together. Right. I think. Well, and clearly really, they don't really... work in events. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that's that's quite impressive. It's actually a really smart strategy there. But how did how did sixteen get to thirty? What happened in between? Oh my word! Well, you know the crazy world of Andy King. Um, I went to work uh, right out of university, placing people in jobs, placing sales and marketing managers and sales and marketing directors. But and that was even at. 19 years old, but I was lucky even at 19 years old, I had a voice like this. So when I <laughs> called people on the phone, I could get in to talk to anybody. And I'd called, talked to the, you know, chairman of 
Chase Bank of Florida, you know, and I'd say, hi, my name is Andy King, just checking in with Dan. I'm like, oh, hold on. Okay, sure, Mr. King, you know. And <laughs> I mean, I'd say, you, hey, loved it. I was going to say, you do have a great voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky for that, right? And I'd literally like set up a lunch. And of course, the guy's like, who the shit is this guy? And I say, well, I recently moved down from Boston and I'm down here in Florida right now and on and on, you know. We'd have lunch. The next thing you know, I'd say, I don't know what you and your wife are doing on Saturday, but I'm having a little party at my home. And of course, I wasn't at all, but I certainly made, made the party pretty quickly. And they're like, sure, we'd love to come. And I was lucky to have a cute little house with a swimming pool. And once again, my grandmother sent me down, even at 19 years old, with like 20 beautiful paintings and silver and some antiques. And so we set up a beautiful home very quickly for me. And starting to entertain then was an amazing tool. And I became the top producer of this executive search firm for almost eight years. And I moved back north, and my vision was to be in the food world. And I wrote my first cookbook called Quick and Easy Menus for Entertaining. And I taught people how to cheat. Um, and as I was landing my publisher, the publisher turned out to be in New York City. Um, I moved out to New York City. We did all the photo shoots there for the book. And a cousin of mine called me and said, Andy, I have a rare opportunity at Pepsi's world headquarters. And they're looking for someone to help their employees balance their work lives and personal lives. And quickly, I became America's first corporate concierge. And I was profiled on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I was on the front page of the National Enquirer. You know, you need a baby elephant for your daughter's birthday party. No problem. Um, front page of the New York Post. At Pepsi, he's the right one. Uh-huh. I mean, it was crazy. And what do you think my biggest job was as America's first corporate concierge? Oh, yeah. Hosting all the parties. Besides finding, like, blood parents to big executives who were adopted as a baby and, you know, doing little things like that, um, I was just doing all the big entertaining. Oh, my God, that's crazy. What was the most random request anybody ever gave you? Um, well, one of the directors of marketing, who was quite successful, she's in her 40s, she came into my office and she just burst into tears. And I'm like, God, Margaret, what, what's going on? And she said, I've spent the last holiday not knowing who my real parents are. And I'm like... Whoa. Oh, you, so you weren't joking. You, oh, no. And I'm like, you sure you don't need theater tickets? Or I can get you into any, any or, or, restaurant. Or, or, or a baby elephant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. She's like, I was adopted as a baby, and I have no idea who my parents are. And, the, and my mom and dad who adopted me are now passed away. And I cry myself through every holiday. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, can you give me a couple minutes? Let me... <laughs> brainstorm here a little bit. And of course I did some digging and good old New York, you know, has one of the top agencies assisting adopted children and finding their blood parents. And so I reached out and we went through this whole process. And four months later, she was having Christmas with her mother. Wow. And it was pretty amazing. And I changed her, I helped change her life. You know, I mean, that's pretty incredible, but you know, I mean, obviously baby elephants and, um, having Elton John perform at your party or getting into that best restaurant are pretty integral. But I did some amazing things as a concierge. People came up with some pretty crazy requests. Well, I was going to say, because I've, I've watched that Wolf of Wall Street film, and are those parties really as crazy as portrayed in that film? Oh, my word. Yeah, <laughs> like, 
can you imagine? Like, I represent diversity now, right? I mean, I'm a gay man in the event world, and you know, and I try to hire women in minority-run companies, and um, we support local farms, and on and on. And back then, of course, my clients would go, "Okay, Andy, listen, I want midgets." <laughs> See, so this, this, this is kind of where I hoped it was going to go. <laughs> oh yeah, I want midgets on all of the server's shoulders, <laughs> passing. The canapes. I'm like, oh, no. And then every once in a while, we'll throw one of the midgets against this big wall because they wear Velcro. Velcro. And, stick oh my goodness. and everybody cheers. And I'm like, you guys, but like the littler people, we call them midgets, but um, they were used to it. They didn't mind. They were like, yeah. oh, okay, great. And then one big trader would call me and go, Andy, I need, we, there better be 10 escorts at this party. I'm like, oh God, really? Who am I calling? I've got to get 10 <laughs> prostitutes to be at this party? No, this is not my brand. Like, Andy, we're paying you. Get the prostitutes. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, and can you get Elton John to, to like <laughs> drop from the ceiling and perform for us? I'm like, I mean, it's probably going to, and this is in 1994 or five. I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be half a million bucks at least. They're like, we don't care. Just get Elton John. Which I did, but anyway. So did, did, uh, you, did you make, crazy. Did you, I was going to say, did you make him drop from the ceiling? No, I, I got Tito Puente agreed to drop from the ceiling with his bongos. He came down from like 100 <laughs> feet down and everybody was cheering. Elton wanted to be like wheeled out, you know, from behind stage with his piano. So that's how we handled that. Have you ever had a request where you're like, mm, yeah, I'm going to have to say no to that one? Um, well... That you can talk uh, about. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard. I mean, obviously the big request with fire festivals when Billy asked me to go, you know, suck the biggest dick in the Bahamas to yes. clean up the 200,000 plastic water bottles, <laughs> I probably should have said no. Yeah, don't you think? Maybe. Now that's made me into this slightly toxic, crazy person that I am today. Um, but were there many, I mean, listen, you guys know in the event world and the agency world, Sometimes you have to fire your client. Sometimes you have to tell them that they are so far off that not only are they going to ruin their brand, they're going to ruin yours. Mm. And um, I think there were several situations that I've been in. Um, some were drug-related, okay. where they're like, can you get us a certain, certain kinds of drugs? I'm like, no, I, I, I can't do that, no. Um, and others were just ethical and... Um, you know, there, when you have a lot of money and you're in Wall Street in that time period, it wasn't uncommon to like say, hey, let's humiliate one of our competition. You know, let's do something crazy and have a party in front of their office building and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, no, 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 not cool. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to do that. So there are a lot of those situations, but I can't really name too many. <laughs> They'll come well, after me. <laughs> well, you you touched on fire festival. Like we can't we can't not go there. You got a phone call, right? One day you got a phone call saying, "There's a shit show. Come help us out." Yeah. How did it all happen? Uh, that. Well, I was hosting the pro am. Uh, World Cup Ski Championships in Squaw Valley in Nevada. And um, unlike most big ski championships, 
we had a big problem. We had too much snow. Not not enough snow. We had too much. How's that even nowhere for the 150,000 people to park because all the parking lots were filled with snow. Everything was filled with snow. And I had my my job was just you know, uh, uh, amazingly stressful that week of getting hundreds of large trucks to be able to pick up the snow and get it out of Squaw Valley and take it somewhere else that we could make room for all the guests coming in. And in the middle of all of this, I get a phone call from Billy McFarland. And Billy says, Andy, where are you? I said, well, I'm, you know, in Nevada um, and north of San Francisco. He said, well, um, we have gone ahead with a fire festival. It's on Exuma in the Bahamas, and we're having some issues, and I need you. And I said, oh, God, Billy. Well, he said, well, I'll send a plane, which probably should have been red light number one, because it's like, why, why are you spending, I don't know, 50 grand, 60 grand on sending a plane across the United States to pick me up, to take me back to the Bahamas? Um, and so I got on that plane, and I flew to the Bahamas when the ski championship was over and basically he said just please give us an assessment and tell us if you think we can make this work and this was six weeks out and I basically just walked around I walked through through the venues I walked everywhere I met the staff and I just said we can make this work as long as we change the messaging immediately to say this is not the world's first luxury music festival it's going to be a cool festival. It's going to be fun. Girls will be in bikinis and boys will be in cute bathing suits and everybody will be drinking tequila and you'll be hearing great music and you'll be on one of the prettiest islands in the Bahamas. But it's not going to be what you sold it out to be. And the worst case scenario is we may lose 10 to 20% of all the attendees. And Billy said, okay, got it. And do you know when that messaging was changed? 10 hours, 10 hours before the first guest got there. And so that really was a recipe for disaster. But I still kept plugging along, as the world knows, every day trying to save the infamous fire festival. I'd never had a big failure before. And as we all know, shit goes wrong in the event world. Absolutely. And most of the world never knows. Because guess what? What goes on behind the curtain, when that fucking curtain goes up and the audience is full and everybody's cheering, you have no idea that one of the catering chucks didn't show up. Half the wait staff is stuck in a subway somewhere. There was a fire in the kitchen. Um, you know, you can go down a list of the, the AV guy is sick and half of the screens aren't working. Nobody knows. Uh-uh. That curtain goes up and people are like, oh, my word, best event ever. And so... I knew, you know, obviously each and every day as we were experiencing all, everything that could go wrong, anything that could go wrong went wrong. But can you imagine if I said to you guys, hey, you have six weeks to produce the top music festival in the world on a small island in the Bahamas with no infrastructure. There's no plumbing. There's no electricity. There's nowhere for anybody to sleep. Um, there's nothing. And what, you, what would you say? I think you have the wrong number. Would you say, I, I, I can't hear you? Or would you have <laughs> <Yeah>. said... <laughs> no, thank you. No, it's all right, thanks. <laughs> give, give it to somebody else. <laughs> oh, shit, Dan. Well, I should have, right? But I'm... You know, I always tell everybody, I'm proud of what I did, you know? And um, 
I'm proud that I tried to save that. And I had, you guys have been there before. I had 400 Mm -hmm. cute young people working for me 24 hours a day, all trying to make this thing work. And now it's amazing where literally I get ghosted all the time by, I don't want to name names, like the head of Netflix to the director of our documentary to, you know, a lot of very high level people who I've always had in my pocket. And I'm like, what has happened? And my name will not be cleared until I host the next Fire Festival or something like it. And of course, as you guys know, the wonderful world of COVID has not been on our side. So coming out of fire, moving into COVID was just a killer. And now, you know, it's interesting where I sit with many organizations and they love me and they know my capabilities. And then they'll go, well, they'll come back, go, Andy, you know, we just, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure you're good for our brand. And I'm like, what do you, what are you talking about? I mean, do you guys know Cameo? You know, Cameo, you pay a hundred bucks for me to wish your girlfriend a happy birthday. Um, Cameo is based here in the States in Chicago. And so my lawyers are like, you're not doing Cameo. I'm like, well, I was one of the first celebrities approached to do Cameo. And, you know, I won't lie. Last year I made... I guess in two two year period, I made, I made like sixty five grand on doing these funny little videos of like, all right, Lily, I understand you're getting married, hey, you know, blah blah blah. Someone sends you the message, you're like, holy shit, is that Andy King? This is hysterical. And so there I am, you know, doing all the cameos, um, which has been kind of fun, spreading joy and spreading love to so many people. Um, but in the end. It's interesting now where I'm viewed, you know, as I think what I wanted the messaging to be more about was me being the ultimate team player. You guys know, as an event planner in the entertainment world, you have to wear a thousand different hats, right? You have to be prepared to do just about anything to make your events successful. And I was demonstrating that. And suddenly I get a cameo for from somebody saying hey Andy I'm hosting a little sales conference can you just do a one minute cameo which they paid me $50 something ridiculous and as it turned out it was for Forbes media for 5,000 of their salespeople around the world who came to a conference and there is my picture on a hundred foot long screen saying okay Forbes You might have to take a big one for the team this year. It's vitally important that everybody thinks out of the box. Like, they got me for 50 fucking bucks to be the opening of their sales conference. And I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, there's a power to who I am. There's a power to teaching people that life ain't fucking easy. And guess what? People fail. And guess what? You know, Wall Street doesn't like to talk about it, and certainly Hollywood doesn't like to talk about it, but people fail every day. And what do you do with that? Like, what, do you, what, do you, what have you guys done when you've had an event that's gone wrong? Well, I, I would say we uh, try to redeem yourself on the next one. You know, you try and you, you learn from it, you move on, and you try you to, to be better. Yeah, you, you own, own it. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've had some people say, just don't say fire ever again. I'm like, well, that's kind of hard because I'm known as that guy on every fucking street corner, in every restaurant. I don't have to say anything. I walk in, they know exactly who I am. And I'm like, and I'm proud of it, you know? I'm, and I don't know, listen, 
Billy got out of prison yesterday. It's huge. It's big news. And I don't know. I mean, is he going to call me? Probably. I don't know. You guys probably saw the the special I did with Whoopi Goldberg last spring called The Con. Uh, and um, at the end, she's like, it just amazes me that there's still one person that still hasn't, you know, completely abandoned Billy, and it's Andy King. And, you know, I think about when I was Billy's age at 24, 25, starting out, you know, we we have to be careful today. One of the biggest things for entrepreneurs is this fake it till you make it. And I think there's a fine line, right, guys, about faking it till you make it. And Billy got his Maserati with a driver. He got his brownstone like mine. He did, you know, on, on. And a lot of young people today do that. And I think part of my counsel is like, don't fake it till you make it. I mean, look well, speak well, you know. Yeah, if you have to take a big one for the team and a client says, oh, we're having a, we're having a meeting in, in London on, you know, June 19th. Unfortunately, will you be in London at that point? No, no. Um, shoot, because we're going to be selecting a management team. I'm like, wait a minute, did you say June 19th? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I have a speaking engagement on the 18th. I don't have a fucking speaking engagement, are you kidding me? But I sure do now, and I'm flying over because I'm going to be at that meeting because I know I can lock in the client, right? Mm. Yeah. That faking it till you make it's okay. But on the other flip side now, you know, don't go out and buy the most expensive car. Don't move into the biggest house. Don't create a life that you can't afford. It's just not a great way to, you know, live. And under that kind of stress, you know, you work under desperation. Well, you're not living anymore, people. are you? No. I mean, you're owned by the world, right? And uh, so it's, you know, I think today, and you said it, Dan, like, redeem yourself with your next big event. I haven't had the opportunity because of COVID. And now a lot of my big clients, I don't know what you guys have experienced, but because my focus was you know, my two big, big clients are Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo. And they're certainly not having their big fundraisers at this point right now still to raise money for climate change. I raised shortly before, right after Fire Festival, I raised almost $9 million at one dinner for Leonardo DiCaprio with an art auction. And the event was 99.9% .9 zero waste. It was unbelievable. And everybody loved it. And Leo was freaking out because I convinced him to move the party from Monaco to California because I wanted to support some of the communities who had been ravaged by all the fires. And so I, we brought business and commerce to those areas. And um, as it turned out, the party was a huge success. But I haven't had that opportunity, and I'm looking forward to it. I keep thinking, you know, maybe one of the founders from Coachella will call and go, hey, Andy, will you do a fire festival tent, a big one at Coachella next year. Will you, we've got some sponsors. Um, you know, it's almost like the Andy King redemption party, you know, but don't you worry. I'll serve the best fucking cheese sandwich you've ever had in your life. <laughs> <laughs> but you just tapped on it. You're very much into sustainability, aren't you? It's a huge thing for you. It is huge, but uh, Lily, it's, it's a problem now. And now mm. because I intimidate so many people where I'm like, okay, your next big event, I'd love to work with you. And if I do put my name on it, what most of the world doesn't know is I run a zero waste event company. And I'd love to discuss, you know, all the practices that we do. And, 
we can just start with baby steps and eliminate plastic. I mean, do you know how hard it is to even get that, to get major events to do that? It's incredible. Let's talk about your recycling you know, program. Like, what? How about composting? Never heard of it. Oh, my word. Okay. Why don't we hire women in minority-run companies? And we'll, they're like, well, Andy, why do you do that? I'm like, oh, my word. Well, um, if we found five farms within a 100-mile radius that we could feature with the caterer and have the farmers behind a lot of the food stations talking about where your food comes from. And it's interesting now where I've had to push that aside a teeny bit. But I'm never going to, you know, that's who I am. And that's the kind of person I am. But I'm getting pushback from a lot of big clients now saying, Andy, you know, um, if you want to do this kind of secretly behind the scenes and then tell everybody about it afterwards, it's probably a better idea than talking about it at the initial meetings. I'm like, all right. Wow, really? I would have yeah. thought with where the world's going today, where everyone's becoming a little bit more environmentally conscious, it would be something that would, you know, you'd be leading the way. I know. Wouldn't you think? It, I, I, I think because of the last couple of years of the event industry shutting down, um, I think it, it, it's, it's time for change. I mean, our industry is mm. broken. It's so wasteful. It's horrible. I mean, I don't know if you see like what's, there's a big music festival outside of London that everybody finishes the festival and leaves and they leave their tent and their chairs and their yeah. bicycles and all their garbage. They just leave. That's wow. horrific. I'm like, you can't do that. But I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm going to reach out to some companies prior to the festival and make sure there's a team of 200 people there to pick everything up. And every chair will get donated to an organization, a, a nonprofit. And the bicycles will go to kids that don't have enough money to buy. You know, you come up with programs to kind of, but to instill that, you know, people are like, oh, that sounds like it costs a lot of money, Andy. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. You know, there's ways to do events that are as close to zero waste. Creating an amazing narrative is just so vitally important, I think, today when you have a lot of people in one room. So has sustainability always been important to you? Like where did, where did this passion come from? You know, the breaking point was in 2014. Because you can imagine as the Wolf of Wall Street era, you know, there was no sustainability. None. It was so wasteful, it was unbelievable. And I'll give you one example. Well, there were two examples. One was that I was bringing one of the largest investment banking firms public in the world. And the chairman of the bank, uh, his wife, had this thing for orange tulips. And she loved them. And she wanted me to feature them at this event for 1,500 people. And so uh, we were, um, and this was in 1995, maybe. And I had a budget of two and a half million bucks, which was a lot of money back then to have a big party. Um, And the party was on Friday night. And on Tuesday morning, I get a call. And it's from the chairman's wife. And I said, oh, gosh, Janice, what's going on? She said, well, and she's from the South. And she said, well, Andy, what are you doing on uh, tomorrow, Wednesday? I'm like, oh, God, Janice, I've got a million things. Obviously, the party's on Friday. So we're, my team's working day and night. She said, well, I have, I have uh, chartered a 747 plane from TWA, and uh, you're going on a trip. I said, well, where am I going, Janice? She said, well... Um, you're going to Amsterdam. I'm like, Amsterdam? Oh, my word. And she said, yeah, I have, I have purchased 
150,000 orange tulips from the kitchen gardens, and you are going to pick them up, and you're going to bring them back, and you're going to recreate the kitchen gardens around the Water Club in Manhattan where we're having our big party. I'm like, holy shit. Can you imagine chartering one of the biggest planes you could buy, you could charter, going across the world to pick up flowers that are going to be dead in three days and recreating this thing? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And that was kind of like... It was so disheartening to me. I was like, this is just not right. And then 2014, I helped produce a big event when Beyonce was performing in Central Park in New York City. And she came to New York City to perform for the first climate march where we had a couple million people gather, many who flew in from around the world, to support climate change and to talk about sustainability and and what we need to do moving forward. And after she performed in in the park, you have never seen so many plastic water bottles and plastic cups left on the ground. And I said, that's it. I will never have plastic at another event that I host moving forward. And that was my turning point. But can you imagine these people focusing on climate change were just leaving plastic bottles on the ground? I'm like, oh, my. That's the irony. Yeah. So... You know, it, it, it was quite a climb, I mean, from 2014 to present. Um, people saying, oh, Andy, you know, your hocus pocus stuff makes us nervous. I'm like, hocus pocus? Like, how hard is it to feature a local fisherman who's 80 years old and his grandson who's 19 who are going to catch your fish on a Tuesday and bring it to the event on Wednesday and the chairman of the organization get at, can get in front of the 600 guests and say, I hope everybody enjoyed their lunch today or their dinner We're blessed to have the grandfather and the grandson who caught your fish yesterday. Please stand up, you know, and I got the fishermen to come to a big event. And, of course, all of a sudden they stand up. They're in, like, their jeans and a big old jacket, and you know, and they wave. And all of a sudden all 600 people stand up, standing ovation, clapping and cheering. Not a dry eye in the room. Now, did that cost them any more money? No. But the narrative was amazing where it was like, holy shit. And the chairman of the bank got up and just said, okay, everybody, can you just do me one favor moving forward? Support your local fish market wherever you live. Don't buy your fish at big supermarkets. Support your local fish market. Support local. And how cool is that, right? Just adding that kind of So powerful. It is. But but that's that's why I find it so, like, mind-boggling because – good storytelling and good narratives and actually connecting with people is seeming to become more and more important these days. Like, especially when we're dealing with events now, that's what clients are looking for. Yeah. And that's what an event is. That's the purpose of the event. So I'm just absolutely astounded that you've, uh, you know, that people aren't seeing the power of the message that you have. Well, it's, it's interesting. I was connected to two women. I won't use their names or anything. Um, and w- both of which were hosting uh, festivals. And um, so the connection was great. And um, I had an initial call with each one of them, couple hour call. And my partner's always saying, Andy, don't give these people too much information. Just, just shut your stupid mouth. Just say, listen, I can help your event be more sustainable. I can do a program for you to create a narrative that people will love. I will build activations that people will talk about for years to come. 
And that's what you need to do. And of course, on both calls, these women were writing down every fucking thing I said. I could just see it. I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. And of course, the woman who introduced me to these women who were quite something, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I sent them a little proposal. And I said, you know what? I'll be kind. Like, Right after fire, yeah. If I came to your event, you know, sometimes I got paid 150 grand, sometimes 100 grand, but I donated as much money as I could to the Bahamas, as you all know, to pay back everybody. And that was the, the, the reason why I did the documentary. Now, suddenly I'm back to business. And so I say, okay, girls, listen, pay me 7,500 bucks. You're having 4,000 attendees. $7,500 isn't a lot of money. And um, I'll help you build out. I'll be a keynote speaker. I'll help you build out all these different things. Um, I'll work with a local community. And then they ghost me. And they don't even return an email. And I mean, so then I reach out to the person who connected us. And they're like, oh, Andy, I, I think they got a little confused. They didn't realize they'd have to pay you. I'm like, what goes on? I, set, I wasn't asking for 150 grand. $7,500 for me to fly across the fucking pond to London and or to go to Wales and to do these things like what I can't even and so I don't know Lily I mean I'm I'm a little confused right now and maybe it will it's going to start coming back the challenge obviously here in the states is that we have 70 million people who still like Donald Trump and don't believe in climate <laughs> change or sustainability so it's challenging there um, but. There are people out there, definitely. Listen, well, it's, the, it's, it's how we have to treat the planet now. It's what we have to do. Well, it yeah, sounds I like agree. you need to leave the U.S. <laughs> I know. Don't worry. My partner's Scottish. One of these days we're going to find a cute, little, a cute little castle to buy. Oh, nice. nice. And start, start hosting parties there. Absolutely. Well, it's, it is. Listen, I, I stick to my ethos and I will continue to do that but I need to be a little more flexible now which I am and um, if what I'm doing is behind the scenes and the clients really like it and I tell them afterwards is probably the right direction to go in at this point what do you got do you guys sit before you know as you're in the pre 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 planning of a large event and talk about your sustainability initiatives Sure. The, the interesting thing is that here in the Middle East, it's kind of becoming more more required that mm. we actually do that for in order to win projects. We have to actually produce plans and documents and, you know, make it more sustainable in order to win the projects. Good. OK, good. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Dubai, Dubai or like Dubai government, for example, has been working on like over the years, their initiative, especially with government entities, was to actually become paperless. It's amazing. You know, so it's very, amazing. very forward thinking here. And it's like all the projects that we're doing with FIFA for the for the World Cup. Everything has to be recycled. Mm. All the materials we're using for the construction, all of the things that we produce and fabricate, we have to reuse them time and time again. I love it. Yeah. See, you guys are trendsetters now. Trying to Trendsetters be. and thought yeah. leaders. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like our events have, you know, previously, historically been very, very wasteful. Very much. Uh, very, you know, and quite opulent in many ways. And, you know, the, the production has been huge. But the whole get on a plane, go get me some chulos from halfway across the world would not have been an unusual thing here. No, not at all. Yeah. But, but now. More and more people are becoming very conscious about that, that, that social, but also environmental impact of what it is that we actually do. Well, you think about like one of the things. For instance, with the big dinner that I did for Leo, uh, I found a third-generation cer ceramicist family who makes this beautiful pottery. 
And I met with them and I said, listen, having a dinner for 500 guests, five courses, we'll need five different kinds of plates. Will you make them for me? And they said, well, they ran the numbers. It's going to be $44,000. And I said, okay. Well, we were going to spend $25,000 on rentals. And so I'm like, you know what? Fine. Well, guess what we did? We donated all of that pottery after the event to families who had lost their homes in the fires in the local town. Wow. And oh, how cool it. is that? I yeah. love and then, it. Yeah. And then when we, we literally, we did one event where one of the clients was just crazy. And she's like, I want you to create the big lawn all, you know, it's just a thousand feet long where it's going to be leading up to the stage with all beautiful sod, all grass. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is just so wasteful. I can't, you know, and what do you do afterwards? And she's just insistent. And I'm like, okay. And I found a camp for kids, which most of the grounds around the camp were all just dirt and blowing dust. And I got a team of wonderful volunteers to help me. And after the event... We picked up with 200 volunteers all of that sod, loaded onto trucks, and it went up to this camp and planted. And these kids had grass to play ball on for their summer camp that it was, you know, for un underprivileged kids. And so there's ways to do things at every event which create a great narrative. But, you know, that's the, the environmental side. But the social side, like, I don't know if you guys have ever read about a guy named Father Boyle, and he's an ex-priest, and he's in L.A., and he started a company called Homeboy Industries, and now he has Homegirl Industries, and he takes kids out of gangs who are covered in tattoos, and he brings them back into the real world and the workforce, and he gives them opportunities, and he has started, when you fly into LAX, into L.A., there's a Homeboy Industry cafe, and there's a Homeboy Industry um clothing store and he's helping them start window washing companies, painting companies, on and on. So when I do big events in LA, I call Father Boyle and I say, listen, I need I need a hundred staff to do directing traffic, to help with coat check, to, you know, there's a list of things. And then of course, sometimes you get the client that says, Will they steal my handbag? <laughs> Like, no, they're not going to steal your handbag, for God's sake. But isn't that cool to give opportunity to these people who are now trying to recreate their lives and get a fresh start? And it's so important. We have the power to change the world through the event industry, you know? That's very true. Like, uh, I was going to say it's very true. And to, and to give. JJ, quote that. That is awesome, Andy. <laughs> I love that. And for us to be able and to give about, back. Yeah. Yeah, give back. But also, guys, you know, and I won't take up too much more time on the sustainability piece, but it's like what's amazing to me, for instance, with the power of the event world, think about if we were to sit down with Marriott Corporation, who seems to host some of the biggest events around the world, and say, we are going to boycott your organization unless we can talk to the powers that be about your supply chains. Where do you get your food? How do you source your employees? Let's just talk, let's try to be as transparent as possible because if you're doing great things, we want to promote it to our clients. And if you're not, we'd love to help kind of guide you on supply chain. How do you support local farmers within a 100-mile radius? How do you hire minority and women-run companies? How do you find startups that are doing the right thing? Marriott has the power to help change the world 
And we have the power as the event planners to say, we are moving this billion dollar industry to Hilton or I don't know what, you know, but mm -hmm. yeah. we've got the ability to push change. It just takes, you know, it takes government, it takes big business and it takes thought well, leaders. It takes a collective. It does. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the need to ask this question. Andy, if you weren't working in events, what would you be doing? You know, it's funny. COVID hit. We went to our farm, which is two hours north of New York City, and we were quarantining there with 400 acres. It was a very large place. And my publicist at the time was like, Andy, do not post. Do not say, woe is me. I'm stuck on this farm. You know, no one wants to hear this fucking shit. All the celebrities <laughs> in L.A. are like, I'm stuck in my mansion. I hate my Olympic indoor pool. Oh, my pool. God. Horrendous yeah, optics. I, yeah, I like, oh, I'm like, that was the biggest gift we had to step back and to get off the fast train. And so literally I said to Craig, my partner, okay, um, I have an idea. We went around to some of the biggest supermarkets and big box chains and we collected pallets that all of the forklifts pick up, you know, and place things on. And we collected over 250 pallets and we built a fence around a huge area and then we had a barn that had fallen down a few years ago and we created raised beds we built one of the biggest vegetable gardens in our town and then i had a tiki bar that i'd had for a party that was behind one of the garages and i restored the tiki bar and we brought it out to the end of the driveway and we painted a big sign that said the tiki bar farm stand and every day we would bring vegetables out to that farm stand zucchini, aubergine, squashes, lettuces, kale, peppers, tomatoes, onions, you name it. And we ran a little farm stand for over a year and a half during COVID. And we had so much fun. And I love being in the gardens, you know. But I'm a creative person. And right now it's fascinating. I'm looking at starting a small business because one of my happy places in the world is on the ocean. And so I've always been a boat owner. We actually just sold a boat yesterday, but um, I'm looking at another boat to start a little charter business and um, where I would be licensed to take 12 guests out, which we would take them out for lunch, for sunset cruises, and for dinner cruises. And we would have a naturalist on board that would talk about all the cool things that are happening in the waterways and on and on. We'd support a local farmer. We'd do things. So... I know, Lily, it's still small events, but it would be pretty cool just to have a simple little charter business. And of yeah. course, well, my accountant's like, what? You're not going to make a lot of money? I said, I don't give don't a shit. Say, like, yeah. I don't care. I could make three grand a week. I'd be perfectly happy. I'm fine. It doesn't well, matter to me. Anymore. I was going to say, I hope Dan and I get the first invite to that boat. Wake up, baby. Oh, We're on well, our way. It'll be a lot of fun. Trust me. And yeah. It's embarrassing, but where I live now in Charleston, South Carolina, is Charleston has been voted the top destination city in the U.S. six years in a row, and it's the top place for bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. But you call them hen parties, right? And Yeah, uh, stag parties. And, and stag parties. Oh, yeah. my God. So every time you get, you drive in your car downtown, literally you'll see six, you know, groups of 12 women. You'll see 10 groups of eight, eight men, eight guys. And I'm like, how do I... And they all know who I am, believe me. They scream my name. So I'm like, how do I make a little bit of money but bring joy and spread love? So um, we're looking at starting this charter business. The boat will be called Phoenix because I am the 
phoenix rising out of the ashes of fire. And uh, so I'm kind of looking at that right now. And maybe I'll still do two big events a year. Maybe. Nice. Um, I, I have committed to a large event in January now uh, here in, for the local university for 5,000 people. But um, I, you know, step down, right? Like enjoy yeah. life, breathe. Isn't it's that time. what you guys learned the last couple of years a yeah. little bit? How yeah. do you balance our crazy lives? It's amazing. I think that's a nice little way we can the, wrap this one the up. Phoenix the Rising. Phoenix. Andy, I'm really, I'm really excited to watch that Phoenix Rise. Okay, good, good. Well, you guys, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you both and speaking. Thank and you. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you guys are big proponents of the, of the world of sustainability oh, as well. Oh, 100%. Events. Yeah. It's just so important. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I say to people, just be kind, you know, and that was one of the original things I learned. Um, my mom was so kind to, she didn't care what anybody did or wore or whatever. She'd always say, where are you from? And she says, oh my gosh, well, my name is Wendy. I have nine children and I went to your town once or I went blah, 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 blah. And she just talk and talk and talk. And so she taught me about kindness. And one of the things that I learned hosting events in my own home at a young age is when people came into my home or my restaurant or, and I've, I've owned a hotel, you know, and I would just be there inconspicuously because I'd always pretend my last big boat was called Gatsby's Ghost. So my family always referred to me as the ghost of Jay Gatsby. And I'd host these big parties, but nobody knew what I looked like and nobody knew who I was because I'd have a huge guest list that I'd get from clients. I'd invite everybody. And I'd sit there at the bar and have a drink. And someone would come in and they go, what's your name? Lily. Uh, yeah, gin and tonic. I'm like, whoa, did I just hear that? Hmm. Uh, and then you hand them the gin and tonic, and then they go, not enough ice. And I'm like, ooh, this is not going well. Um, hmm. And then I kind of, because I sort of have Tourette syndrome, my partner says, and I just can't stop myself, and I'll say, geez, that's kind of rude. <laughs> and then the person will go, well, I, you know, it's quite simple. Like, she didn't hear me, and then whatever, and I, it's not enough ice. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I find it's important to just try to be kind and be mm. polite. I'm like, well, yeah. well, who were you? And I'm like, well, I own this fucking house, and I would appreciate it if you <laughs> left, because no one is rude to my staff. And they're like, whoa, wait, wait, I'm sorry, oh, Lily, I'm sorry. It. I'm like, too late, buddy, too late. Gotcha you get. know what? Be kind. And in our industry, as you know, so many of the big clients and big people will talk down to us and our staff. And I, you know, I'm lucky. I can walk into any room and, and I can wear a watch that's more expensive than most people's watches. My car, whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Like, I am the last guy to leave every large event. And it's mm. 4 o'clock in the morning and I mop and, my, and I sweep my way out. And my staff is all partying somewhere and whatever. And I have a big Mercedes and a driver waiting out front. And they're like, where's Andy? He's got the mop and the broom. And I mop my way out and I get that in that car and I drive away. Because that was my event. And, you know, what do you want people to say? Yeah, he left it immaculately. We're mm. no better than anybody else, right? Correct. And it's important that we live our lives that way. Nice. Ooh, that was a really that's exactly powerful way to... where we finished. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. That's a powerful way to end our season. Nice, guys. Well, keep spreading the love. And um, let me know when you're coming way across the pond. I can't wait to make my way to Dubai. I just... I hear it's pretty magical, and I love the fact that they're really honing in on 
you know, sustainability initiatives too. Well, you'll have to look us up when you come over. We'll make it happen, deal. All right, Andy, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Take care. Hi, I'm Lily. And I'm Dan. We are The Loaded. <laughs>